Welcome to the CSIS Cogit Asia podcast, where we think deeply and reflect on policy in Asia. I'm your host, Will Colson. In this episode, we turn to India's state elections and economic competitiveness. To explain more, I'll turn it over to my colleague, Dr. Kartike Singh, Deputy Director and Fellow with the Wadwani Chair in U.S.-India Policy Studies at CSIS. Hi, I'm Karthike Singh, Deputy Director of the Wadwani Chair in U.S.-India Policy Studies here at CSIS. On January 4, 2017, the Election Commission of India announced the schedule for Legislative Assembly elections in five states, Goa, Manipur, Punjab, Uttarakhand, and Uttar Pradesh, also known as UP. These states account for almost 240 million people. In the United States, the economic advantages of individual states have been relatively stable for a long period of time. Many listeners will be familiar with the Research Triangle Park in North Carolina, the innovation ecosystem set up in Silicon Valley, and of course the agricultural and tourism sectors of Napa Valley in California. In addition, you may be familiar with the importance of agriculture in the Midwestern states, and so on. In India, while states do have concentrations in specific sectors, the country and its states are still experiencing rapid economic development. Decisions of governance still shape what sectors are the focus for millions of people and, in turn, impact the projected growth. As a result, elections at the state level are key to understanding how India's states will work to enhance their competitiveness. To learn more, I spoke with Dr. Amit Kapoor, President of India's State's Competitiveness Council, to discuss the pending state elections, their implications for India's competitiveness, and how debated changes to the electoral system might benefit India. Dr. Kapoor and I also briefly discussed what the elections mean for partners in the United States and around the globe who seek to engage with or do business with India's states. So today I'm honored to be joined by Dr. Amit Kapoor. He's the Honorary Chairman of the Institute for Competitiveness in India uh, and President and CEO of India Council on Competitiveness. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's absolutely a pleasure. So based on the Indian State Competitiveness Report of 2016, the states in election uh, have all ranked in the top 10 on the basis of policy implementation. What factors associated with the competitiveness of these state economies do you see playing out in the discourse during this election cycle? You know, like when we really talk about competitiveness, it's all about like productivity of the region. And if I just dig deeper, uh, the whole conversation in India in the last three years has really moved towards productivity and development of the regions. And having said that, if you really look at the regions where we are actually having elections, uh, Goa being one of the finest in terms of per capita incomes and then going on to UP, which is at the lower end of the spectrum, uh, just about uh, Bihar, ahead of Bihar. Uh, and if you really look at it, the, the whole conversation as we are really looking at today is going to be about better lives for people, uh, more industry, more jobs, and so on and so forth. Uh, so the whole debate in the country as of now is moving towards development. Uh, so the whole caste-based politics or whatever, it used to happen in the past. It used to take a lot of uh, credence. But I think it is becoming less and less imperative and less, less and less important as we are going along. Uh, and in the future as well, it's going to be the driving force for the country. You recently wrote an article discussing the challenges and opportunities in switching to simultaneous elections. Can you share your thoughts on how state competitiveness might be affected by this change and what was recently lauded uh, by President Mukherjee himself? You know, like, if you really look at the Indian context, what we are really seeing is that we are into a perpetual election cycle. And what does this perpetual election cycle do? That the ruling party, if I really talk about the BJP in this context, uh, is seemingly on an election mode for the five-year period. 
And if that's an election mode, then you might actually end up seeing that there could be populist measures. Uh, there could be steps which are not taken over a period of time, which are absolutely required. Uh, within this government itself, if you really look at the historical context in the last three years itself, if I say, uh, they came with a great big bang. And I, I think they have actually had their thoughts at the right place. But the problem that we are facing is the implementation part of it. Uh, if we were actually having an election at the same time, and there is a possibility that the central and the state governments could be of the same party, that would actually give a lot of credence to the system. It will give you a complete set of vision. So if you are talking about it, what I really see is that there is a certain difference in the vision of the country as to what the prime minister is really wanting it to be uh, versus the dichotomy that actually exists in states, which are not ruled by the uh, the, the set of same government or the same party. If that happens, so there, there is a tearing thing that actually happens. You're just tearing apart as we are actually going. So it becomes exceedingly important that we go for a simultaneous election. Uh, I know it's, it's easier said than done. The question is going to be how do we really execute that process. But somewhere down the line, uh, it is going to be exceedingly important for India to decide that this is a step that has to be taken. If we don't do it, the cost of inaction the cost of being in an election mode can actually be very, very expensive. Uh, having said that, if you really look at the whole demonetization exercise, uh, there are two parts to the story. There is a positive part and there is a negative part to the story. But having said it, uh, let's assume for a moment that, yes, there is a definitive positive to it. Uh, and if it was uh, not the election thing, there could have been a far different kind of implementation to this. Uh, there could have been a less, uh, uh, what I call, populist measures that might have actually been expected. Uh, and what I really see is that the government also, uh, over a period of time in its budgets, can actually take very populist measures. Uh, having said that, this government has really refrained from taking very populist measures. Uh, but then there are situations in the previous sets of regimes where populist measures have been taken. So I think we have to give a lot of uh, appreciation or appreciate the present exist, uh, regime for really taking less numbers of uh, populist measures. But eventually, it's going to be important for the country to move into that direction. Just a few weeks ago, President Mukherjee himself said that it was important for the country to move towards simultaneous elections. Can you share your thoughts on how state competitiveness might be affected by this change? Oh, this is going to be a huge positive towards state competitiveness, because for a simple reason, if I have a common vision for a state, uh, and the country, then you are moving into the same direction. I have a common cause that I'm actually working towards. So let's put the whole idea of competitiveness per se. There are two or three imperatives that India needs to work on. Uh, one is that clear cut on infrastructure. How do I actually improve the infrastructure? If I have a common thread running through it, it's going to be exceedingly uh, great to happen. If I talk about skilling, or if I talk about labor, or if I talk about demographics. Uh, so there is an overarching demographic structure that India actually has, but there is also uh, definitively certain set of states which have a, an age profile of a certain nature to states which have a different age profile. If I compare Kerala to UP, they have absolutely distinct age profiles. So out here it becomes important that we start talking about things in the same breath. So it also really tells us, if I have a common election cycle, and in terms of competitiveness, what could also happen is that I can decide as to what state should focus on what. Right now, what I'm really seeing is, because the states are really functioning differently, each state will say that I want to actually function in all 15 areas possible. But is it, going to, is it really going to happen? Mm -hmm. Any state, for that matter, can actually do well in three or four distinct areas. And that is going to be a common vision that can actually get created. Otherwise, it will never happen. Uh, so I think it's great for competitiveness on the long term. Uh, but then, is it happening now, or is it happening in the next decade? Whenever it happens, I, I feel very optimistic that it's going to be a great step for the nation. 
So four of the five states going into election, Goa, Manipur, Uttarakhand, Punjab, all hold strategically unique locations in India. Goa is sandwiched between the economic powerhouses of Karnataka and Maharashtra. Punjab's agriculture-based economy and proximity to the nation's capital drives the economy of the northern states. Manipur, of course, is uh, sandwiched between Bangladesh and Myanmar on one side and is not far from Assam to its north. Uh, and Uttarakhand, the 16-year-old state, which separated from Uttar Pradesh, shares an international border with China and Nepal. How does a strategically unique location play into a state's competitiveness, especially for these five states? Location is the most important factor for competitiveness, as, as you're as well saying in, a que- in the question itself. Now, if I talk about Punjab, I think uh, Punjab is a unique location. I think it can also have a huge bearing on India and Pakistan relationships as well. Uh, when I say, like, w- what is important for countries to really be friends or whatever, eventually it's going to be trade. And if I'm able to open trade, if I'm able to open borders uh, through trade, that's actually going to have a huge impetus to the growth of the country itself. So one side is the border with Pakistan, which has a huge bearing. Having said that, of course, we have uh, uh, Delhi, which is just next door to Punjab or whatever, uh, and things. So there, there is a lot of consumption that happens in Delhi. That's the So, of course, when you talk about Punjab being the food-growing capital of the country to the basket where it's going to get consumed, it's just around that region itself. Uh, but I think there's a larger issue that we have to talk about in Punjab, and that's about uh, reduction or reducing productivity levels at the uh, agriculture level. Uh, if I don't really look at that question, I think we are actually going to be facing a lot of problems in the future. Because Punjab itself, it was a fairly competitive location. Uh, but then over a period of time, it has not really migrated from being an agricultural state to maybe an agro-producing uh, agro-processing state. So sh- it should have migrated over a period of time. So it's just getting stuck at a certain level. So what we need to look at it from that perspective as well, that what is it that we're going to do with the state. Uh, having said that, when I talk about Uttarakhand, uh, Uttarakhand, again, uh, has performed way better than Uttar Pradesh uh, since the creation of the two states uh, that had actually happened about 16 years back. Uh, Uttarakhand, if I'm not wrong, has close to about one and a half times the per capita income. Uh, as of uh, Uttar Pradesh. But within Uttarakhand as well, uh, there are two distinct regions as we would actually see, uh, the plains and the hills. Uh, The hills seemingly are not performing too well uh, because we've not really had a very huge focus on what should we really do with the hill regions or the mountainous regions of the country. What can we really focus on? Can I actually create something like a tourism hub which is of a very different nature? If Switzerland can do it, can Uttarakhand do it? I'm not saying that it's going to be a same similar kind of an answer, uh, but there is something very positive that can actually play in terms of understanding what happened in that country. Uh, and within the plain regions uh, of Uttarakhand, it is doing far better. Uh, but of course, when you talk about Nepal and China border, really, uh, uh, around Uttarakhand itself, of course, you can travel to those locations and whatever. And I think I'm of this uh, opinion that trade is one of the most important things. So when you talk about any country for that matter, uh, and in a globalized world, it's free movement of goods and free movement of people. And whenever we have actually seen free movement of people and free movement of goods uh, between sets of countries or in any location, those countries or locations have become far more prosperous. United States for that matter. Why is United States what it is today? For a simple reason uh, that it has actually had huge sets of people coming from all across the board. And that is where that melting pot happens, the creativity thing op- uh, opens up. Uh, moving on to Manipur itself, I, I think go, it's, it's going to be a similar logic as to what can be done. Can we do something with 
uh, what do you call Myanmar uh, and things. In fact, if you really look at it, the problems that we are facing in Manipur right now uh, in terms of the blockade that has actually happened, uh, that is having a huge impact on the trade that India and Myanmar actually has because that's where the goods are flowing. So it becomes important that Manipur stabilizes, uh, people get involved in the economic activity, and then of course the trade is actually gonna help. And trade is gonna create prosperity. So any location through which trade is gonna happen, it is gonna create prosperity at that location, and it's gonna be good for its people. So that, that's what we really need to eventually look at. So let me ask a follow-up to that. So states in India have tended to look kind of towards the center um, do you think that either in this election cycle or in the discourse more generally in the states leading up to this election cycle, do you think that some of these states are starting to have this discussion about their geostrategic uh, location even beyond India? Or is that a missed opportunity and something that uh, you know the center needs to drive more? I don't think it's a missed opportunity at all. Uh, the states have looked at export markets in a very, very strong way. Uh, if you really look at three or four distinct states in the country, uh, starting with Gujarat, Maharashtra, Tamil Nadu, uh, and things. Like, these are the states where exports have been driven out of those uh, locations. They were not really just competing in India, or they were just not looking at markets, or they were just not looking at industries which were gonna do well in India. They've actually looked at industries which were gonna do exceedingly well outside. Uh, if I get my numbers correct, then uh, Gujarat and Maharashtra contribute close to about 44% of India's exports. Uh, so if you really look at that number, that means they have looked at outside. Tamil Nadu, for that matter, actually does huge sets of things on automotive uh, exports as well. Uh, so the states have been doing it. I think uh, it's not about, states will always refrain from foreign policy actions or whatever, which I think they should do because that's the federal structure. Uh, but eventually, I think in terms of vision that they have, they would always look at the external factors because in competition between locations is not going to be about India versus China or India versus US or India versus Latin America or South America or whatever. Uh, it's actually going to be about two distinct small geographical locations. So it's going to be state versus state. Uh, because at the end of the day, when I want to make my location decision, it's not China versus uh, India. It's going to be about uh, whether Siri Perimbadur is a better location for electronic manufacturing or Dalian is a better location for electronic manufacturing. That's how the decision is going to be made. So that's what needs to be done. So out of the states going into election this spring, which state, in your opinion, holds the most significant role in India's overall competitiveness and why? I think to really say that there are states which hold less significance, I will refrain from saying that. I, I think each state has its own importance and they bring a different or a positive flavor to what the country is doing, what it brings on the table. When you talk about Goa, even though it's a very small state, but then it drives the tourism uh, circuit in India. Uh, when you talk about uh, Punjab, it's the agricultural produce. Or when I uh, talk about UP, then it's actually about uh, small industries or small and medium enterprises. So uh, they drive a certain set of ecosystem in each one of those states. But in terms of like from a political viewpoint, I think Punjab and uh, UP are going to play the most important role, and more so for UP, because UP is the place from where the government got a very massive mandate when the government came in. So it's going to have a huge impact, like 72 out of 80 seats, if I get my, if I remember my numbers correctly. And according to those numbers, then the government should actually get close to about 385 seats in the House. So anything less than that can actually have a different opinion and that can actually get built up. The opposition could have a different view. So I think it has a huge political bearing as well as we go along. 
uh, I think the mandate at some point in time, as of now, a lot of people are thinking it's a mandate for the government or against the government. Uh, I do not agree with that, but the question is that there are going to be people who are going to use this opportunity for creating conversations, creating pressure, or whatever, and that's where it is. And for the sake of continuity, I would assume that the government should actually win uh, some of those things because it's better for the country from that point of view, uh, but I'm not certain if that's going to happen. So what do these state elections mean for U.S. strategy in engaging with India, particularly at the state level, whether through private or the public sector? So... I've always maintained a view that, you know, uh, when you talk about a country like India or, or the U.S. itself, uh, the federal structure has a very interesting meaning. The federal thing is that the foreign policy is going to get defined through the capital and whatever. But at the end of the day, it's going to be states which drive economic issues, economic competitiveness. They, they drive the economic vision for the state. So it becomes important for U.S. and India or states within U.S. and India to really see how the twinning can actually happen. So if I talk about the automotive belt in India, of course there are three, four distinct states uh, where the automotive thing actually happens. So can there be some kind of an, uh, twinning that can happen with the automotive manufacturing locations within the U.S. itself? Uh, so that's where it is going to be. So it, it is not going to have a you know, foreign policy bearing. It is certainly going to have a bearing in terms of how trade can actually happen, how states can actually work together, how they can actually have a common vision. Uh, of really working together. So when you talk about Detroit vis-a-vis, -vis, uh, say, some location in India, how those two locations could actually be working together. Uh, probably Iowa with Punjab for uh, agricultural manufacturing. Can India learn from Iowa in terms of productivity practices and so on and so forth? Or what Iowa can actually learn from Punjab? There could be those sets of things that can actually happen. So. Uh, I really do not read any political thing into it, rather than saying that, okay, there is going to be a different chief minister with whom you will have to engage, because U.S. actually has said that they are going to have a chief minister's conclave, and so on and so forth. Uh, that's a great step to do, because uh, at the end of the day, investments are going to happen in states, incentives are going to come through states, so you'll have to really understand that as well. I really appreciate that Dr. Kapoor was able to share his thoughts on the economic trajectory of India's states and the discourse accompanying these ongoing elections. Moving forward, the results from the state assembly elections will come through after March 11th. Stay tuned for more work on India's spring elections from the Wadwani Chair in U.S.-India Policy Studies at CSIS. That's our show. The audio for this podcast was edited by Ribka Gemelingsari. The podcast was written and produced by Jeffrey Bean. To learn more, visit our new look, CSIS.org and KajadAsia.com. You can follow our Asia programs on Twitter and subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, RSS, or email on CSIS.org. Stop by our Asia Maritime Transparency Initiative site for groundbreaking analysis in Maritime Asia, now in five languages. And check out our new Reconnecting Asia site. Also be sure to listen to our latest China Power podcast. I'm Will Colson. Thanks for listening.